This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, we sit down with Chris Biscardi, open source developer and contractor. He's currently working with the Gatsby team on projects like Gatsby MDX and Gatsby Themes. So today we talk about his amazing work on Gatsby Themes, what they are, what you need to know to start, and why they promise to bring a new wave of shareability to Gatsby sites. We also talk about designing a workflow around sharing what you know. This can be tricky. I haven't found one that I personally like yet, but Chris's thoughts on building an effective content pipeline just blew me away. If you're looking for ways to share more of what you know, stick around to the end. You will not regret it. This week, we have two great sponsors, Linode and G2i. Linode is my favorite cloud computing company. When it's time to take a project from your local machine to production, no one is better than Linode. It's not just their speed, which they've totally got covered with SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and the industry's fastest processors. It's their unbelievable knowledge base, resources on open source, and support. When I was contracting, I couldn't have done it without Linode. I went from a total server noob to provisioning, deploying, and securing my own apps. Linode empowered me to put money in my pocket, and that app is still happily running on Linode servers today. If you want to see your ideas out in the world, start a relationship with Linode. Do it today and get a $20 credit with the promo code REACT2019. We even have a super easy link, so you can visit linode.com react and have the promo code automatically applied like magic. Now, speaking of my contracting days, I would have given two of my 10 fingers for a company like G2i. For me, the worst part of contracting by far was shoring up and maintaining business. I just wanted to write code and push to production. G2i makes that possible. They market you directly. They manage all logistics, contracts, invoicing, and payments. You get personal support from their incredible team, so no previous contracting experience is required. And best of all, you join a unique collective of incredible React and React Native developers available in Slack to help you through those really tricky moments. If you're a contractor, don't go it alone. Partner with the amazing people at G2i. Visit g2i.co today. Go to the For Developers page, apply, and find opportunities you'll love. G2i. We vet. You get hired. It's that simple. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. I am super excited to have you on. Uh, Jason kind of put up on Twitter. He was like, hey, we need to get Chris on a bunch of podcasts talking about Gatsby themes. And I was like... I was like, "How do I? How do I do that?" I'm raising, <laughs> raising my Twitter hand. <laughs> so, um, tell me a little bit about you. What you're up to? What's the What's the now on Chris Biscardi? Uh, yeah. So currently, I'm uh, sort of just finishing up, I guess, because we just launched Stably uh, Gatsby Themes. So I'm an independent consultant, and Gatsby hired me to build stuff out for them. One of the things I did was themes. One of the other things I was working on was uh, Gatsby MDX and MDX Core and things like that. So um, we just launched Theme Stable, and I just put Gatsby plugin MDX into the Gatsby Mono repo. Uh, so that sort of wraps up very nicely what I just did for Gatsby. Um, 
and yeah, that's sort of what I'm working on right now. I'm sort of doing the maintenance and the bug reports and things like that for the things we just shipped. That's interesting. So I was going to ask how you got hooked up with um, with with Gatsby. Um, what does it look like that like independent consultant relationship on this kind of open source project that's that's gaining momentum? Yeah, so um, I sort of specialize in open source stuff. Um, and I guess that started uh, when I started my career, because that's how I got my first contracts, like, I want to say 10 years ago or something like that. Um, and then I did things like work at Docker, I built a team, uh, we worked on a bunch of open source stuff. And that's just part of who I am and part of what my value is as a consultant now. Um, so the way that I get clients now is either through word of mouth or I send out a tweet saying, hey, I have some space. And uh, I've been working with Gatsby since 0 0.7. So like wow. before the GraphQL API, before 2.0 and et cetera. Um, so I have a history here and Kyle saw me tweet out and was like, hey, you know, we actually have work that we could have <laughs> you do. And yeah, so that's how I got started with Gatsby uh, this time. That's that's really interesting. So how do you how did you identify Gatsby as something that you wanted to use as someone who is an open source consultant? Were you just did you have a project that you were working on and like, hey, I'm, this thing looks cool, or uh, was it more uh, kind of intentional about that than that? How you got involved? Yeah. So I guess over the last, um, I guess three or four years ago, I was building my own static site generator because I wanted to redo my blog and. Um, you know, that turns into an entire project on its own. It does. Uh, and I want to make a blog. I want to make a static site generator instead. Yes. Let me build all the infrastructure and never write a blog post. That'll be, that's a smart thing to do, right? Um, so yeah, so I was looking at, I'd used Hugo before and Jekyll and all of those things. And none of them were really what I wanted. Because uh, three or four years ago, I was using React now, right? I was all in on React. 2014, I started Docker on React. So that was my thing. I wanted to use it. Um, we had rendered a string and I was like, we just built a server with rendered a string. <laughs> so why can't I use it for my blog too? Um, yeah. So I built, I basically went to Gatsby's, like, I guess they were a sub channel of the react discord at that point and was like, Hey, Gatsby's really cool. But like, I really want everything to just be like data. Like I, I don't want to deal with like mapping a markdown file to a page. Like that's not how I want to work. Right. Um, so it wasn't quite what I wanted. And I started working on my own static site generator on the side that used GraphQL for all the data and stuff. And then um, obviously one man projects don't go that long. Uh, and Gatsby kept going and going and going. And 1.0, they added the GraphQL API and everything was great. So uh, yeah, it just is sort of the best solution to the problem, in my opinion. Uh, and that's how I, that's why I use it, right? So it is my, it's now my Create React app. So I don't really use Create React app anymore. Uh, I just use Gatsby for my projects. Crazy, crazy. Now, how is it, um, so for any, I want to kind of back up a little bit and um, and, and just to kind of cover the basics, just so everyone's on the same page and um, we, we make sure that we don't leave anyone behind. Um, but but what is Gatsby? Like from a, <laughs> from a high level, what is it that Gatsby is trying to solve in um, just in general? What is the Gatsby project? What's the goal? What do you want to do? Yeah, so I usually refer to Gatsby as a progressive web app generator. Um, if you're not already familiar with what progressive web apps are, then that doesn't really mean much to you. So we usually start talking about how Gatsby is a static site generator, but it also has a client side bundle that you can ship with it. 
And because it has the client side bundle, you get all these speed improvements between navigating to different pages and things like that. Your uh, experience is more dynamic, et cetera. And some of the really powerful parts of Gatsby are related to this concept of the content mesh, right? So Gatsby uses a GraphQL API to power its data pipeline to build out these pages. Uh, and that data pipeline can fetch data from any CMS. So it can fetch from WordPress, it can fetch from Contentful, it can fetch from files on disk, it can fetch from anywhere, basically. Um, so one of the really powerful parts of Gatsby is that you can take data from anywhere, turn it into a bunch of pages, ship those pages as a static site, and you get the performance on the other end. Hmm. Now, so it's not just static sites, though, right? You right. can, I mean, this Gatsby kind of allows you to build the static and the dynamic at the same time. Is that right? Yeah. Interesting. So this is so this is something that it seems like a lot of I guess React-based projects are trying to cover. Uh, we actually just had a call with um, Tim Newitkin's um, building next, mm -hmm. um, and those are those seem kind of in like a similar space but like distinctly different um what are some of the projects that really fit well for gatsby um that that might not be a natural fit for for next it seems like graphql plays a lot into that yeah so like i said before gatsby has this concept of the content mesh right so if you're dealing with content-based sites uh and you can build them at build time instead of building them at runtime uh, Gatsby is a great fit for that type of application. Um, obviously, Gatsby can also bootstrap a React app on the other side. So if you have dynamic data behind a login or something like that, it works for that as well. Uh, if you want to run a server and you want to render a new page on every user hit or something like that, mm -hmm. then you start thinking about something like Next, right? Um, because with Gatsby, you deploy a set of static files. They go to Netlify or they go to S3 or whatever your deployment method of choice is. And you don't have to... Uh, worry about the ops, right? You don't have to sure. do anything for that. Um, but if you want much more, say, dynamic server-side rendering, uh, Next is really your only option there. Interesting. So what are some of the, I guess, primary applications that people use Gatsby for? Because um, it seems like, so, so you'd mentioned having, uh, having a lot of content, like a, a blog or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, are there other services that people tend to pair with with Gatsby right out of the box? Yeah, so uh, there's obviously your marketing sites, your blogs, things like that. And then people are also using it for like storefronts. Um, so hmm. a great example of this is uh, one of Gatsby's own properties, but there are also other companies that build actually their newer storefronts on top of Gatsby, um, where basically you do all of your product information at build time, and then you do inventory at runtime, right? Interesting. So you have your products, they build out, you do ship the site, somebody hits your site, they see all the products very quickly because it's already pre-rendered, and then the inventory for that product is loaded via the client side requests, via like, I don't know, Apollo client or whatever you want to use, right? Sure. So are people using their own servers to manage that store or are they using something like Shopify or like APIs in a... It depends in like an existing store? Um, so some of the bigger companies using them uh, obviously have their own pre-existing infrastructure and use that. Uh, some of the people who are just getting started will ship something with uh, Shopify or any other hosted platform. Interesting. So with this mesh, do you see people using a lot of different platforms to like aggregate stuff, like maybe, you know, their YouTube content or, you know, blogs and all that kind of stuff. Is all that possible to just kind of bring together in one place in Gatsby? 
Yeah, so you see a lot of people who um, don't, aren't necessarily using like two CMSs, right? They're not using like WordPress and Contentful, but they'll be using like uh, Contentful and flat files and like this Airtable Excel sheet that they made and like this other thing like that came from over there that just happens to be a JSON file. And like, so like, <laughs> it's really like the long tail ends up being very useful because you can get any data you want into the spot that you need it. Interesting. So that does seem like kind of the, your vision for having GraphQL to query all of that does seem like the really core d difference between this and some of the other solutions is that at the very, the, the very base of it all, like take the static site generation out of it, take React out of it, is the ability to get all of your data in like one kind of consistent fashion and be able to build your site from maybe all these disparate areas of, of content. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's really one of the powerful parts of GraphQL, right? Like your GraphQL API serves as a product API layer that can call out to a bunch of different sources, right? So if you are an open source developer and you have a blog, your uh, blog markdown files are probably sitting on disk, right? But you can also go get your list of GitHub repos and make a page out of all your projects. So nice. it's that sort of unified interface to all of the data that you have in the world and bringing it in and then operating on it. Now, how do people add this functionality to GraphQL? What's the mechanism for doing that in Gatsby? Uh, there are things called source plugins, and usually it's just, at this point, most sources have a plugin already existing. So if you're using WordPress, you'd install the WordPress plugin. If you're using Contentful, the Contentful plugin. If you're using um, the file system, there's a Gatsby source file system, uh, et cetera. Cool, cool. Now I want to jump to your work specifically over the last handful of months and year and talk about Gatsby themes. Um, what is it that Gatsby themes empower today that wasn't possible before? So you can imagine Gatsby themes as sort of a custom create React app for any subset of functionality that you can build into a Gatsby site, right? So to unpack that a little bit, uh, previously, Gatsby had this concept of starters, and starters are basically just Git repos that live on the internet. And when you do Gatsby new my starter, it clones the GitHub repo for you, deletes .git, reinitializes it, and then you're off to the races, right? Um, but if you make changes to that starter, make changes to any of those files, and you want to update, like the starter keeps going, right? Like your like React boilerplate is this giant project; it just keeps getting improvements. Yeah. If you use a starter, you can't take advantage of any of those improvements upstream, right? Or it's really hard to, because you have to basically pull in, rebase, do all these things. Um, what Gatsby Themes allows you to do is package up any subset of functionality that you have inside of a Gatsby site. So page logic, any other like core logic, uh, React components, template rendering, all of that kind of stuff into an NPM package. And then ship that NPM hmm. package and install it into some site somewhere and just start using it. Interesting. So if I had wanted to, let's say I had like a bunch of podcasts, let's say I have like a podcast network or whatever, and they're all like owned by different, different people. Um, if they wanted to, if I wanted to kind of like build something as like a, a template effectively for them to create a Gatsby site and then have their podcast like working right out of the box, they'd be able to use something like Gatsby themes to kind of have like a really good starting point, um, but then be able to pull upstream changes that I made. Yeah, exactly. And uh, hilariously, Jason just streamed that live on Twitch today. Oh, nice. <laughs> so they, they just built one live on stream if anybody's interested in that sort of thing. 
uh, go find his YouTube archive of live streams. Awesome, awesome. Well, I am super, uh, I'm super excited to see how that one actually pans out. I'm, I'm actually redoing my uh, the the React podcast site in Gatsby right now. Nice. And so it'll be, <laughs> maybe they all have done the work for me. Maybe I won't have to do hardly anything. That'll be great, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what were some of the big challenges in building this new theme, uh, theme way of thinking? in Gatsby? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge is that it's really easy when you're building something like this, building a core piece of architecture that sort of changes the landscape so much. It's really easy to just layer on new APIs and just end up with this huge ball of additional API mud that like, <laughs> okay, so it's there and it technically works, but like, okay, I don't know how to use this because the API surface is so wide now. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely like the biggest challenge. And I spent a bunch of time prototyping different solutions. And I'm pretty happy with what we ended up with because basically what we ended up with is uh, like one or two core APIs that are new. And then everything else is just Gatsby. So Gatsby themes are actually just Gatsby plugins at this point. Hmm. Uh, they're Gatsby plugins with a Gatsby config, which means you can add more plugins. Interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that, because like I, because for me, like plugin architecture just confused the shit out of me. Sure. So, 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 tell me a little bit about how the plugin system works in Gatsby and how you kind of compose those those plugins. Right. So, at a base level, if you have a Gatsby site, uh, the core thing that makes up your Gatsby site is this Gatsby config.js file. Right. Mm -hmm. It's basically an object. It's got a couple keys in it. The keys that we care about for the purpose of this conversation are the plugins key. And, you know, maybe like the site metadata key or something like that. Okay. Um, basically, what themes is, is this plugins array defines the base functionality for all of your site. When you install a plugin, it instantiates some bit of logic into your site that does something. I know that's very abstract, but it's like, it's mm -hmm. literally just anything that you can do. Sure. Um, so if you have a plugin that is a Gatsby source file system or something like that, you're adding the ability to source from the file system to build your pages. Okay. In the case of themes, what we want to be able to do is then add Gatsby source file system and Gatsby plugin MDX to transform those files uh. through MDX. And then we also want like more logic to actually create pages from those MDX nodes, right? So what themes is, is a way to take sets of plugins that work well together, package them up, and then ship them as a unit. Interesting. Interesting. Now, this, I feel like, leads into something that I've been hearing about a little bit through from from you and from Brent Jackson, is this idea of component shadowing. Mm -hmm. Is that is that kind of tied into this, yeah. this architecture that you're talking about? Yes. Um, now, that, that, that sounds to me a lot like a kind of like convention over configuration and kind of some of that stuff that, you know, Rails popularized. Mm -hmm. Is that is is that kind of along that vein? Yeah. So, um, Basically, what we just talked about before was composition, which is the first core API in themes. This is component shadowing, which is the second one. Oh, okay. Um, and component shadowing is basically when you ship themes as an NPM package and you want to go modify something. So you have a header, you have Gatsby theme blog, you installed it into your site. It looks great, except you don't like the colors or you don't like the header or you don't <laughs> like whatever, right? Which, you know, who doesn't not like stuff? Uh, <laughs> Um, like, I don't like my headers that big. <laughs> Make them smaller. <laughs> uh, like, how do you change that? Because it's an NPM package. You don't have access to the source to change it. 
And one of the primary sort of motivations for doing component shadowing was to enable people who are marketing uh, users, who are design users, who are uh, junior engineers just getting started, to be able to actually make significant changes to a Gatsby site that uses a theme. Okay. So component shadowing, now that I've said all that, is a file system-based API where if there's a file in your theme, so like you have your header at Gatsby theme blog, source components header, right? Just a React component. If I want to change that header completely, I can create a file in my site at source Gatsby theme blog components header. And it just replaces it at build time. Interesting. So it's it's almost like a like a cascade where like I have like a higher priority for for things that are in my site over the themes that I have. Yes. Interesting. And the, actually you can have, um, so Gatsby themes compose like horizontally and vertically is what we say. So you have the parent child effect, which people are probably familiar with from WordPress. Mm -hmm. And then you have horizontal com uh, composition, which is you can install Gatsby theme blog and Gatsby theme notes and Gatsby theme store next to each other. Gotcha. Which means that component shadowing works across all four of those things, like your site and those three themes. Wow, fascinating. Um, that doesn't sound like a easy thing to have like accomplished. I can I can see why it's <laughs> been a hard process trying to figure out the right API for that. Yeah, I'm actually really happy with the way that that landed because um, the implementation is actually pretty complex. Uh, but the user interface is just create a file, export a React component. Nice. So I would have I would have naturally thought kind of coming to uh, you know Gatsby themes that I could only do like pick a theme. Mm -hmm. and kind of like go from there and extend it. Yeah. But you're saying that you can pick multiple themes that kind of compose them together to to fill your purpose. So like yep. I'm doing a, a blog store thingy and I want features from all of these, these um, and still extend that. Yep. Now, are there a bunch of conventions then around where, if you're designing a theme, mm -hmm. like kind of where the header lives so that we can, you know, know that like my header is going to override all of these or... Is that kind of managed in by some magic? So there's two schools of thought around this, basically, right? So inherently, component shadowing is uh, a single theme based. So if you're going to shadow a header, you're targeting a header in a specific theme. So if you have two different themes, there are two schools of thought about how to handle them. One mm -hmm. is that you can also create additional themes that those themes inherit from that define the space for the header, right? Okay. So if I have like Gatsby theme parent, and both of these other themes use Gatsby theme parent and Gatsby theme parent defines where source components header lives. And both of those sub themes just use that. Then I have one place to override the header. But there's the other school of thought where basically like I'm using Gatsby theme blog and I'm also using like some random theme that some other person made then published to NPM, right? Those aren't necessarily built in concert together. Sure. So if they both have headers, they're both gonna be different headers and I'm gonna have to override both of them. So component shadowing allows you to override both of those individually because you put them into a uh, namespace in your project. Interesting. Interesting. So where can people learn more about these um, these things as they start to develop Gatsby sites? Because there's there's obviously going to be a lot to a lot to learn. There's a pretty big shift, I think, to be able to kind of like insert other people's codes. What are some of the big documents that help people out? Uh, me specifically, uh, <laughs> that'll help me out as I'm kind of building out my Gatsby site on themes. Yeah. So there's basically like the um, I'm going to be a user of themes and I'm going to go use one. Uh, and we have two official themes right now, Gatsby theme blog and Gatsby theme notes. 
that both come with starters that let you bootstrap a new project. So if you're looking to uh, figure out how to use themes, there's a tutorial on the Gatsby site that will walk you through creating a new project with like Gatsby theme blog. So that's probably where you want to start if cool. you want to get used to like, this is how it feels to use a theme. If you want to author themes, we have a separate track on the Gatsby docs, which is basically like, here are like the internals, here's what you need to know to actually build Gatsby themes. And in reality, if you're already familiar with building Gatsby sites, you can just copy and paste that into a new directory, publish it to NPM and use it. Like the only thing, <laughs> nice. literally the only thing that usually breaks is that the paths uh, for like the source for where you keep your markdown files will usually point inside the MBM module instead of inside the site. But that's like a, a single line change for each of those paths. That's awesome. I, I have to say, I love that model of programming, like kind of optimizing for copy paste ability. Like, hey, just, mm -hmm. just copy paste this thing and like you're off to the races. Now you can just like change it and configure it however, however you want. Um, so what is that? What did themes mean for old Gatsby sites? Is it really easy to migrate to themes kind of after having a, a long running Gatsby site or long running Gatsby's been around for a handful of years now. <laughs> long running in uh, JavaScript ecosystem, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. So basically, like I just said before, um, if you want, if you have a long running Gatsby site and you want to turn that into a theme that you use across like two different sites or something, all you have to do is copy and paste your site into a different directory, publish it to NPM, and now you have a theme. Um, awesome. And like I said before, the, the usual trip ups there are, uh, I defined the path for my markdown file directory to be local to my site. And now because <laughs> I used like path.resolve instead of require.resolve or something like it points into the NPM module. And I like, so everything that you can do in a Gatsby site is trivially sort of movable to a theme because themes are just Gatsby sites. Yeah. Now I've been watching um, you and Jason Langstorff um, do some of these um, theme videos online, talking about how to like build them, how to get them into your site, and I've seen that you guys are using um, Yarn Workspaces mm -hmm. for that. Could you tell me a little bit about what that adds to the development process for these themes? Yeah. So to be clear, we use Yarn Workspaces when we are developing themes, not when we're using them, because when you use them, you don't need anything special. It's just an NPM package you install. So if you're authoring themes, what Yarn Workspaces brings to the table is the idea that you don't have to worry about uh, having a bunch of different repos and you build one theme over here and maybe it didn't have the right abstractions and now you need two of them and now you have two repos. And then you also have this example site that you need to build and use them to test everything out. And now you have three repos. Uh, so Yarn Workspaces solves that problem where gotcha you're building out a theme and you need somewhere to test it. And then you also want like space to grow in case you need to make other things happen. Interesting. So is that something that you'd recommend for, for that second case where, you know, so you have a theme consumer, but you have a theme uh, producer, right? Uh, someone in that open source space, if they're like getting their start in themes, uh, this seems like a pretty good workflow. I mean, it seemed to work really nicely. It was like, you were able to just kind of like, you know, build your theme in a workspace mm -hmm. and then, or, I guess build it in plugins and then kind of like move it to a workspace and then like put it online and then NPM install that. Yeah. Is that kind of like a standard workflow for these types of themes or plugins in general? Yeah. So, I mean, a theme can start as a plugin in your local plugins directory, right? And you can build out as much as you want. 
Uh, and then you, when it's like time to take that and use it on multiple sites, because, you know, local plugin directory doesn't work like that, um, <laughs> you can move it out into a new package. And because Yarn Workspaces treats these directories as packages, like they're NPM packages, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, it just gets installed now. And now you can just install it somewhere else as well. Uh, and then when you want to go and actually give it to the world, you can publish it to NPM. And now it's free from the workspace and you can use it anywhere. What are some of the themes that you expect to be popular or kind of like show up over the next couple of months? Ooh, um, this is a, a interesting question because if I say things on this podcast that I expect to happen, <laughs> um, that will affect how people, what people do, right? Um, so I'll, I'll start off with the easy one, which is like, I expect people to build a bunch of blog themes because one of the things that uh, is happening right now is that we just shipped Gatsby theme blog. And now we're trying to teach people how to like child theme that blog. Sure. So I'm expecting uh, a lot of people to do that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or if not a lot of people, then a amount of people somewhere. Um, as for like the themes that will be built other than that, uh, I know of a bunch of like internal Create React apps that are being built uh, as a theme. So, for example, like interesting, uh, the carbon design team ships everything as a theme now, um, hmm. or like Apollo uses themes to build out multiple docs pages and things like that. Interesting, uh, or multiple docs sites. Sorry. Um, so there's this whole ecosystem of like people will probably build documentation themes and they'll probably have opinions. So multiple people will build documentation themes, and then there's the child theming aspect, and then there's just like the we have a bunch of tools that we want to ship to our internal users and we are going to package those up as a theme because we're using Gatsby. So there's a bunch out already that are just like somebody built some uh, Shopify theme, somebody built like their custom material UI theme, somebody built like, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where I expect things to be going and where they are. Interesting. Now you and Jason made an interesting video where you talked about using themes as kind of a mechanism for um what is that called like micro uh micro, micro front, front end yeah. <laughs> architecture <laughs> whatever that's supposed to mean <laughs> uh, but what does it what does it mean for for gatsby um because it looked like you were doing some really interesting stuff and being able to isolate around teams using themes which is really fascinating yeah so basically um because of the nature of themes and the how they work when they encapsulate pieces of gatsby right um, and you can ship those as NPM packages, that means that you can isolate subsections of your site into different themes, give control over developing each of those themes to a different team, and now you have your site being developed by whatever your organizational hmm. structure is. Interesting. So you're using Gatsby as the platform to kind of like build it all together, mm -hmm. um, but each team kind of almost like uh, almost like the way our monorepo is set up, yep. where like each person might have like their subdirectory and packages that they work in. Yep. So they're going to work in their theme, and then when the site gets built, it's just going to pull together all the stuff from all the themes because yep. you can have a bunch of them, and now you have this site with all these different divisions of, of, of labor or work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Gatsby provides these like higher level APIs around how you divvy things up, uh, like these create page life cycles and things like that, right? And you can um, split up subdirectories in your client app into each theme and be like, okay, this one's gonna control that one and this one's gonna control that one. Nice. So you can have a dashboard team and a marketing team and uh, like a store team, et cetera. Nice. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned create page. That's one of my favorite uh, APIs, actually, because like <laughs> when you have like some kind of data source and you're like, I just want to spit out a bunch of pages for all this stuff. Yep. It's like just like fetch and build. <laughs> it's like amazing. It's like one of my favorite things to do in Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really fantastic because it's really powerful that way, right? Like I have a bunch of data and I want to do something with that data. So why can't I just write a loop and do it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is crazy because it's like I, I I've always felt like I was kind of like doing something a little bit wrong, like the times <laughs> that I've done it. Because it's like you, you generate this Gatsby site, and then it's just like you just have this one little function where yep. it's you know you're, you're you're building out your entire site, but it's it's awesome. It feels like magic. <laughs> yeah, it's actually fantastic. And then that's the same way that themes work, right? So like Gatsby theme blog does that little function for you, and you have yeah. a blog post type, and if you want to do anything with that. You can actually extend all that logic using these life cycles. So awesome, awesome. <laughs> now I understand conceptually what Gatsby Theme Blog does, mm -hmm. but what is Gatsby Theme Notes? You mentioned that a little bit earlier. Yeah. So, like you said, Gatsby Theme Blog is a blog. Pretty much everybody knows what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Gatsby Theme Notes is uh, so. There's this idea of like having a digital garden, or like the idea mm -hmm. of what do you. Where do you write when what you're writing is not a multi-thousand uh, line blog post, right? Sure. And how do you develop from those notes, as I'm going to call them now, um, mm -hmm. into a full-fledged blog post or like from notes to a blog post to like a six to 10,000 word like deep dive on a topic, right? Sure. How do you develop um, sparse ideas into fully formed long form content? Um, and notes is Gatsby theme notes is one of the ways that we sort of suggest that people do this kind of thing, right? So Gatsby theme notes will set up a uh, subsection of your site that is dedicated just to notes, and you can write MDX in some folder, and it doesn't have to be anything, and it doesn't have to do anything specific, and it can just be like I am looking at the documentation for X project, and I just wanted to keep track of what I looked at, uh, and you just write it into the notes, and it just goes to your Gatsby site and gets published on the internet. Awesome. So you now you have this huge directory of everything that you are either learning or looking at or doing, and now you have sort of a track record. When you want to go write a blog post, you can go look at your notes directory and say, oh, yeah, so I did do this three weeks ago. Maybe I want to write a blog post on that, right? Interesting. So this is kind of exposing, uh, as we kind of go into to more kind of creating and learning in the open, this is really like taking that hidden process maybe of like, you know, you maybe you put it in a draft or you put it in like the notes app on your computer mm -hmm. um, and maybe exposing that and saying like, hey, these are things that I'm I'm thinking about and, you know, may or may not evolve into to something larger um, later. Yeah, for sure. It's sort of a, a place for fragments of ideas, right? Hmm. It's not necessarily like I'm going to sit down and write the notes for the specific blog post that I'm going to publish later. It's just like, I was looking at the schema customization APIs in Gatsby and like I learned some stuff and there's stuff that I'm not sure of and like here's some of the things that I learned, but I still have to go back to it in three days and like actually like learn more. So fragments of ideas into sort of like these blog posts into these like deeper dives and things like that. Awesome. I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to check that out. I. I was just recently exposed to the idea of a, a, a digital garden actually through, I think, maybe the blog post even on Gatsby themes. And um, I was so fascinated by some of the stuff that some of the stuff that was out there. It was really cool to see how people were taking this idea of I have these like short paragraph thoughts on these things and I'm collecting them into this 
you know, bucket of thinking that may become a blog post or a book or a whatever down the road, but like, who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really powerful pattern. And it's probably why one of the main reasons that we actually shipped uh, Gatsby theme notes as one of the initial official themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like Gatsby will have other official themes in the future. Uh, but what we're working with right now is basically like the beginnings of a content production pipeline for you. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So speaking about production, it seems like you are doing a lot more in the open. So whether that be streaming on Twitch or writing or kind of producing egghead videos, um, is that intentional? Like what's your thinking behind that? Yeah, it's totally intentional. Um, I think when I got to the end of last year, um, I had a couple blog posts that I was writing that had sit around for six months or more. Uh, they were all reaching like 600 or not 600,000, uh, 6,000 <laughs> uh, words plus, And they were these huge, like, I don't know, like just, they were massive, right? And they were unwieldy. And like, if I wanted to update something, I had to update the flow of the entire 6,000 word blog post. Yeah. And it was just, I was done with it. And I was like, okay, that's not working because they're not getting published. Um, what can I do to ship more, right? So in January, I basically just committed to shipping and I committed to shipping less than I thought was useful, right? So I wrote uh, a blog post and I wrote it in an hour and I didn't know if anybody else cared about it or like if it was enough content or like I could see things that were missing and I just shipped it anyway. Uh, and then I did that again and I did it again and uh, 30 days later, I had 30 blog posts shipped. Yeah. And people were like, wow, this is a massive amount of content. How are you doing this? Like, this is actually useful for me uh, when I go find this thing. Um, yeah. And it, it sort of ties into the same idea that Egghead has for their videos, where it's like they have like a 30 second, a two minute video that answers a specific question. Your blog post can also answer a specific question, right? And my motivation for uh, sort of doing this and doing more content is that in the past, I've really enjoyed roles where I've gotten to build teams, right? So at Docker, I was the first like UI engineering hire. I got the opportunity to build out a team from scratch there and build people up over the course of the two years that I was there. Uh, that was really enjoyable for me. And I really liked that a lot. Um, and I've maintained relationships with those people over time. And it's really sort of unfortunate that I can't do that for more people just because I'm not building a team somewhere. Right. Yeah. So I have information in my head that can help people. Uh, but just because we're not physically next to each other, I can't help them. That doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so it's sort of this idea of like, how do I scale the things that I'm trying to do so that when people need this thing, they can go find it and it can help them. That's amazing. Have you been surprised by some of the ways that you've been able to help people and in, in writing and producing regularly? that maybe you might not have expected? Yeah, so I mean, um, the vast majority of people that find stuff, I find don't actually tell me that they went and they found it and they read it sure, and it yeah. helped them. <laughs> <laughs> so like whenever people are like, oh yeah, like I, um, I read your blog post and it helped me out. And I'm like, cool, like when was that? So actually, I think I was interviewing somebody at one of my past jobs and I had written this blog post and um, they were sort of like a junior engineer. So they were looking at very sort of basic questions, like how do you concat two arrays together and things like that. Um, and like at the end of the interview process, they were just like, yeah, so I just, I, I read your blog post on like this array concat <laughs> thing. And like, I was like, uh, okay. 
And I didn't really have any readers at the time, right? So I didn't have people like looking at me. I didn't expect anybody in the real world to see that and it be useful for them. Yeah. So I think that I think that was one of the most impactful moments for me where it was just sort of like, okay, I can write something on the internet and I can ship little bits, right? And ones and zeros, and then somebody in the real world somewhere else that I don't know and will never meet uh, will see this thing. It will help them, and they can get their job, and they can get a raise later, and like it can meaningfully impact their life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a beautiful kind of like virtuous cycle because I mean you've you've done the same obviously you know gleaning information from yep, the internet to be sure. able to do to do your work. Um, I love this idea of 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 producing less but more frequently. Um, and it seems like Egghead has really done a great job of kind of championing this idea. And I know for me, talking with them and kind of seeing their process, realizing that's how people search for information. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I want to write the like the definitive piece on <laughs> a, <laughs> JavaScript array methods yep. or whatever, right? And that's not how people look for information. They're like, I need to shove two arrays together and so they try to jam in as many words as they can think of that <laughs> evolve around arrays and smushing them together and then they they find those little pieces of information like oh this is this is only three paragraphs like i can i can do that like yep. and they read it and they learn something and they move on with their life and it's a just a beautiful thing so i i very much value and uh, endorse that 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 advice of <laughs> shipping less more often <laughs> yeah i think it, it has very strong parallels to like company success even right like if you're building a company or you're building some product the way that you i guess beat out the rest of the ecosystem or like become a successful product is by shipping stuff yeah it's not by okay we're gonna have a quarterly ship uh <laughs> for the next three months work on this huge thing and then we're gonna ship it and people are gonna love it like it's it's the daily like i'm gonna ship another commit it's going to go to production inside of five minutes. I'm going to ship another commit. It's going to go to production inside of five minutes. Like the more you ship, the more successful that you will be and the more successful the people around you will be. So it definitely feeds into that. Do you have a strategy for like a content strategy or do you just kind of, you know, every day you're like, hey, I'm going to put something out and kind of like uh, allow that to like whatever you're excited about, allow that to guide like what the, you know, what the platform is that you use, what the... Uh, kind of the content itself is um do you just kind of like follow your your feelings for the week yeah so i definitely have multiple inputs and multiple outputs right so there's inputs that are i had some work to do today and something tripped me up and now i can write a blog post about the thing because it tripped me up and it probably tripped somebody else up too or well uh, we did some work today and somebody asked me a question and just the act of somebody asking me a question means I now have a blog post topic that I can go write, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, or I was working on something and I wrote a bunch of notes because I don't really understand what I'm doing yet, right? And those go into my notes. So the pipeline for me um, around its core is pretty solid right now and I'm sort of expanding it into uh, different areas that I'm not quite sure how to handle yet. Um, but I go from notes into blog posts those blog posts become egghead videos. Those egghead videos get put back at the top of my blog posts. Uh, if I write enough blog posts on the same topic, I publish a deep dive to my newsletter. My newsletter huh. uh, will get re-edited and I'll put it back out as a blog post later. So the deep dives go back onto my blog. And it's just like this whole cycle of like, it goes from very fragmenty ephemeral thoughts through to slightly more solidified stuff through to other formats 
so that more people can consume it back into like, here's the definitive thing on like arrays or whatever, right? Uh, and you can actually take that into, okay, now I've written the deep dives on a bunch of different related topics and now I actually have a book, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. like it scales up if you write enough on the same topic repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what we were saying. Like if you just keep shipping small things, you end up with a very large concrete thing. Um, and now I'm basically, so I Twitch stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 p.m. now. Um, that's part of sort of like my content strategy, if you want to call mm -hmm. it something like that. Um, and then I'm also thinking about getting into more like 10 minute long YouTube videos like, hey, this is going to be a produced video about how to build a blog with Gatsby, right? If you need to know this, you can go to this video. It will take you from start to finish. You'll have one at the end. Uh, and it's not just like me on a live stream and we're hanging out and I'm answering your questions or something, right? Like. <laughs> So there's a bunch of different places that I'm putting stuff. I'm still thinking about how to like take my core content pipeline, which is basically written stuff and egghead videos and port that into like, okay, now I have a deep dive. Maybe I make a 10 minute YouTube video that's produced and well yeah. like articulated. Interesting. How, how long did it take you to kind of find a pipeline that that worked for you? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of false starts, you know, kind of mm -hmm. thinking like, oh, I'm going to make the video first and oh, that actually didn't work or, you know, trying to do the newsletter first and you're like, oh, people actually want more or less content on the newsletter. Right. Uh, what were some of the false starts? What did you learn through developing that process? Yeah, so I will say the, um, the first thing I'll say is I don't have analytics on anything. I have zero analytics. I don't put Google <laughs> Analytics on it. I don't care. I don't want to invade people's privacy, et cetera. Uh, so all of the development of my pipeline is based around continuation, right? If I continue to write more, that will lead to more success in my writing and more people seeing it and better writing, et cetera, right? So my entire, like the development of this content production pipeline is basically how do I sustainably do this as opposed to what content can I put out that the most people will see? Um, and that took me, I don't know, a few months at least. In January, I was just doing blog posts, right? It was just these small day, like one hour blog posts. Um, by February or March, I was building Gatsby themed digital garden with John, um, John Otender, who's also created MDX. Um, so then I was doing notes and then I, they were going into blog posts and then some one time in like March, um, like February, March, I started doing egghead videos, right? So it was notes, blog posts, egghead videos, egghead videos back on the blog posts. And then suddenly I was like, okay, so what do I do with the like 6,000 word blog posts that I have now? Uh, well, I ship them to my newsletter as deep dives. So like if you have read my stuff and you like what I talk about and you think that it would be useful, then I have these deep dives into topics yeah. that are just like um, these long reads, if you like long reads. And I ship them to my newsletter and they go out. Uh, and then I'll re-edit basically that for a blog post format and ship it back to my blog later uh, when I have time. And like that took me the course of four months to get all of that together. Um, and even now, six months later, I'm now just starting to think about how, okay, how do I use YouTube effectively as a communication method? Yeah. Right. I love, love this idea of continuation, uh, specifically kind of not measuring Google Analytics. The idea that kind of what you measure is kind of like what your focus is. And the idea of measuring your continuation, like I tried this thing. Did it make me more successful at continuing to do the thing, or did it make, or did it kind of like derail me a little bit? Did, did I feel less excited to to keep on 
when I added this thing. Um, that's man, that's some beautiful feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it makes it such that I'm much more conscious of like when I introduce something into my pipeline, if it creates friction. I see that friction immediately. I'm like, I'm writing less. Yeah. I wrote one yeah. in two days instead of two in two days. Like, why did that happen? Uh, do I care if that happens? Because like sometimes it's just, I wrote a deeper blog post for somebody else's platform, right? Like I write for the Gatsby official mm -hmm. blog sometimes. Um, and that takes me a couple days and it reduces my pipeline output for those couple days because it's deeper and I put more thought into it. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Because I still feel like I'm outputting on roughly the same level. It just, sure. I ship something bigger rather than something smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love this idea that you, you, you took this like big hairy thing that you, you thought was maybe like ideal, right? Like you're working on the ideal blog post. And I think that some people are kind of in that situation where they're, they're looking for the ideal pipeline. <laughs> and instead of just saying like, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this one thing. And I'm going to do it like whatever your frequency is, yep. once a month, every week, whatever. Um, and then kind of like building that into like, oh, okay, like I could, I could actually spin this thing off into another thing and like building habits and like letting them snowball is, um, is amazing. And I, I, am going to, I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> definitely steal it, please. And let me know how it goes, uh, so that I can steal it from you back. Um, but yeah, so I, I will say that I did this in January, not intending to make it a habit or not intending to do anything. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to keep writing which I guess you could call a habit, but like I was thinking about, okay, today I'm going to write. Yeah. Today I'm going to write. Today I'm going to write. And then I had three <laughs> posts, right? Um, but what really happened is that now writing is a part of how I do things. Right. Right. When I go to build software, I am producing blog posts as a side effect just because that's how my brain works now. Right. Like I'm taking notes. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how to take those notes into uh, longer form content. Like I'm thinking about how to communicate these ideas in ways that people find interesting and such that the software that I build now has now comes backed with like a library of content that I've written around it. And you can see this with themes where I have this like giant uh, Gatsby themes tag on my blog yeah. that is <laughs> like 20 plus posts or something like that at this point. That's awesome. I, I love also that it opts people into kind of excitement about the things that you're, you're working out on as well. You know, they can kind of follow along. And I, I've been able to like get excited about Gatsby themes because of your work and seeing you, you, you write about it and see kind of the evolution of some of the thinking. And um, it's it, it's really cool to see those pieces come together. Uh, but it does take a lot of, of vulnerability. Do you have some <laughs> advice for, for people who just cannot get their head around producing something that is not uh, not perfect. You know, I think that um, for me, and I won't say that this works for everybody, but for me, um, putting it out there, even though I don't think it's perfect, uh, was the thing that got me through that. Just like the ability to ship, just decide to ship and ship it. And if it's not <laughs> great, it doesn't matter because you'll find out that it's not great. And then next time you can do something different. But if you don't have all of those little points at which to make corrections, then you're doing the thing where you're shipping once every three quarters or once every three months, right? Once a quarter. And then you don't get feedback. If you don't get feedback, mm -hmm. you can't change anything. So if you ship in smaller incorrect increments, you can get on the right path much quicker. So if, you're, if yeah. your priority is to actually ship the perfect blog post, it benefits you 
to ship very small, slightly wrong things all the way along the way and end up with a great blog post in three months yeah. instead of trying to make the best blog post from scratch without having done anything else. Yeah. I read I, I read this book with probably the silliest title ever. It's called um, <laughs> The Five Second Rule or something um, okay. by Mel Robbins. And she she talks about kind of metacognition or whatever, like, you know, brain science stuff. <laughs> um, but the thing that I took away from it is th this idea that, you know, sometimes we, we make the mistake of like setting up these like lofty, ridiculous goals sometimes. And instead we need to say like, hey, tomorrow at 1 p.m., I'm going to be the type of person who ships a blog post. Like, not like I'm going to write the best blog post. Like, I'm going to be the person who ships a blog post. And like, that's all that matters. And like, you know, maybe that's just like a paragraph that, you know, that you managed to muster and like feel good about. But like, you're going to be that person tomorrow at 1 p.m. Like, it just, it, it seems like deciding that and then just doing it no matter what the outcome yep. is, um, is a really powerful thing that we get to do as humans uh, to just say, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be that person now. Yeah, I actually, so on that topic, I used to have, or I still have, technically, um, a GitHub repo where I use issues for, like, what I want to do with my life, right? So okay. it's, it's sort of like a project management for my life, if you want to yeah, yeah. short it. Um, but it was called, like, the GitHub repo was called goals at one point. And what I was finding was that year over year, I would miss a bunch of them. And there wouldn't necessarily be a reason behind why I missed them besides I didn't spend enough time on them, right? So there were these things that I wanted to do that I didn't get done. And I was like, okay, so why isn't this happening? Um, and I actually, I've now changed it to uh, like habits or something like that. Like the, like the repo is no longer named goals. It's no longer about goals. It's about what am I doing? And when am I going to do it? And how am I going to do it? Right? Yeah. It's about these small things. Like just spend some time doing something each week. Right? Yeah. And that's so, yeah. So I, I've changed my outlook completely. And it's been for the better. Because now I'm producing way more stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like now I can ship whatever I want because I'm doing it all the time. But like before. <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, this has been so informative for me on on a technical front, but then also just a you know personal productivity and like excitement and content production front. Uh, thank you so much for your time, expertise, and wisdom today. Is there anything you want to say as we uh, we leave, wrap up? Um, I'm always available on Twitter for uh, anybody who has questions about stuff that I talk about. Um, that is the number one place to contact me. If you want to hang out while I'm streaming on Twitch come there too. I can answer questions. Uh, and yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Of course. Now, where where are you on Twitter and Switch? In Switch. <laughs> Twitter and Switch. Switch. I do have a Switch. Um, <laughs> so I am Chris Biscardi on Twitter. I'm Chris Biscardi on Twitch. If you need to find me anywhere else, you can usually search Chris Biscardi and you'll find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate everything that you shared today. Yeah. And thank you very much. Like I said, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of React Podcast. Obviously, you can find show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 62. I just can't stop thinking about Chris's idea about optimizing for continuation and excitement. It's changing the way that I think about my work, and I hope it inspires you to share more. Thanks, Chris, for lighting up my creative mind. Thanks again to our two great sponsors this week, G2i and Linode. Work remotely on React and React Native projects with G2i. 
Join a collection of brilliant developers focused exclusively on React. Visit g2i.co today, go to the For Developers page, apply and find opportunities tailor-made for you. And get those cool projects that you have on your local machine out into the world with Linode. They've helped me build my businesses and I am so grateful. Their support is unparalleled and you won't find anything like them anywhere else. Visit linode.com slash react today and get a $20 credit, which will give you plenty of runway to get that idea off the ground. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week. Next week.